Hi, everybody. David Knorr back with another episode of our Intelligent Growth with my business partner, Jen Cords. Hello, Jen. Hi, Knorr. How are you? I'm great, thanks. For our audience, uh, delighted you're here. Uh, in this episode, we're going to focus on something that Jen and I are seeing in the market, and we're having regular conversations with CROs, CMOs, chief customer officers, CEOs of companies, venture capital and private equity kind of partners, which is the reality of the uncertain economic times we're living and working in. And in these environments, a couple of things happen. Number one, the sales velocity, the average sales cycle dramatically slows down. More concerns, more people on the fence, decision by committees. It just takes longer to close opportunities. A contributor to that is pipeline and missing pipeline targets, missing opportunities coming in at top of the funnel that eventually become customers. So Jen and I thought about if we're seeing this, and this is this is an, a, an example of something we, we tend, to, tend to observe. If you see something once, our experience has been that's a point. See it more than once, it becomes a line. See it now two, three, four times, it becomes a trend. And it becomes more omnipresent across very different companies in very different industries. So Jen and I thought, what about a few, yes, handful of ideas that we believe if individual leaders in the revenue engine and teams and organizations doubled down on, it could really help them uh, survive, if not thrive, through this economic time. And the good news about economic times, they're cyclical. So this too shall pass. It's just how do we now not just get on defense with cutting, because I've never seen any organization cut its way to growth. But let's get on offense. How do we really think about a balanced approach between being prudent, being smart with where and how we invest, but also really focus on offensive opportunities? Jen, comments on our opening? Well, I would just say it's an area that a lot of companies may not be looking at some of the critical details. So they're looking at their win rates or their successes and not necessarily their their loss rates and things that they could be doing better and being really intentional about all of those handoffs from marketing to sales to customer success. Love that. So take both a macro view of not just what's happening, but a deeper dive micro view of why is it happening and how do we really learn from every interaction? The other thing you and I talked about in our in our conversation was if we're going to get fewer at-bats, if we're going to get fewer opportunities to engage and influence, I think it would be very prudent to really think about the relationships, the breadth, depth relationships in that account, in that function, up, down, across that account. And not, you know, we need the transaction. But if you peel back the onion, one of the reasons it's dragging on potentially is we don't have the relationship. We don't have the candor with them. We don't, you know, they can't or they're not willing to come and say, we're just not going to spend this, this next quarter, this next half a year, this year. So, so really deepening the relationship and multiple source of relationship, we believe will help alleviate some of these. So Jen and I are going to go back and forth with a series of questions. As always, we'd love to have you come join us in our private online community called the North Forum. If you just go to norgroup.com slash forum, Jen and I are there on a regular basis. We jump in with tips, techniques, ideas, uh, uh, position papers, whether it's our own or others we find. So it's our private online community that we'll invite you to come and join us to continue this conversation. Jen, I'm going to start with you. 
Can you talk about what you're seeing in the market in terms of the marketing pipeline? If we just if we think about our customer lifecycle journey, um, for our audience that might be watching us uh, see that the visuals, I'll bring it up shortly. Talk about the, what you're seeing in terms of the marketing pipeline. Sure. So one of the biggest areas in the marketing pipeline that we're seeing companies struggle with is their tech bloat. And it's just technologies that they've accumulated either through the pandemic, pre-pandemic, or they've allowed various teams to stand up on their own. And it just contributes to the point solutions and the, the silos of data. So tech bloat is probably one of the biggest ones. Uh, layoffs that are becoming more prevalent is another one. So a lot of times marketing is seen as an enabler versus an actual value creator. Um, and so the, they aren't the ones closing the deals. And so marketing is a function that generally sees layoffs before sales will see layoffs. And so that's another area that I'm seeing on the marketing side that people are struggling with. And the last one would be data flow. As I mentioned in, the, in my tech bloat, uh, a lot of companies are not orchestrating their data tech stack in a way that allows data to flow seamlessly from system to system and actually create a system of record. And so it's one of those areas that creates silos and everyone along the customer's journey doesn't have either the most up-to-date information or the most accurate information that can help them do their job better. And so ensuring that your data is clean and consistent across all your systems is another area that I'm seeing companies struggle with. It's fascinating. What did you tell me our average client, how many different tools or technologies the average clients use? Uh, 50 to 80, usually on average about 70 different tools within the tech stack. And that's just marketing sales. That's not necessarily taking into consideration customer success, HR, finance, or any of those. I'm baffled. Like who keeps up with this? I, I can't keep up with the five or six that are in my personal tech stack, much less, you know, 50 to 80. And I think as you and I talked about good people with good intentions, you know, find a need convince up, down, across that we need this. And we kind of bolt on and keep bolting on. And at some point we start to use duct tape and super glue. And I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely perplexed of who the heck keeps up with 50 to 80, you know, pieces of technology. And then we go back in and we look at, you know, the classic case of A, they're not using some, which they're still paying for, or they're using fraction of what some of these tools are capable of. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of t operations teams are very small. And so they are trying to manage more technologies than they should be. Uh, every ops person should really only be managing about five to eight technologies, depending on complexity. So if you, you have an ops person managing your CRM, for instance, they probably should only be responsible for three or four other technologies that aren't as complex as that one. And so you try and balance that workload across your ops teams. But what we're still seeing today is that there's more technologies and more requirements of ops teams than is really something that they can handle. On the layoffs, I found a fascinating website called layoffs, plural, tracker.com. And here's some data points for our audience that they may not be aware of. Roughly 335,000 people were laid off, employees, in the first half of this year. Those were from big companies. Uh, layoffs are up roughly about 80% since the second half of last year. 
smaller companies are much more sensitive to that uh, market volatility. So if you think of elasticity, right, as I, as I feel the pressure, as I don't have as much revenue coming in, smaller companies, you know, what would give a big company a you know, flu or a cold will kill a small company. So I'm much more sensitive to, you know, our payrolls are, you know, one of our biggest expenses. Where can we cut? Where can we really trim that to uh, really prolong our cash position? So nearly um, double the, the big tech companies are, are really the, the culprits for layoffs. In terms of data flow, um, Jen, why, why is that such a, such a challenge for organizations? I, I know, and I've used this example before, I think you found a campaign by one of our clients where the leads were being generated on the website, but they were going to Never Neverland because somebody hadn't connected that. And then they thought the campaign was a bust and the money, time, effort they spend on it. it, it they thought they generated nothing. And there were several hundred leads just sitting there that you uncovered. Yeah, data flow is one of those areas that because the tech stack may not be owned by a single function or a single team, that that data gets disrupted as it moves from marketing to sales, sales to customer success. And so those pieces, if those operations folks aren't working collectively together, uh, those pieces can start to fracture and everybody has their version of data. And uh, in the example that you use, the campaign was set up and the leads were going to Never Neverland because they weren't actually identified or bucketed in a way that the sales team could actually know where, where to find them for one. And for two, there wasn't a prescriptive way for them to follow up with those leads. And so they were just left and they, were, they weren't really surfaced in a, in a high level. Um, and they didn't hit a scoring threshold or anything like that that would have triggered the sales team to do something with them. So it's really that intentionality of why are you doing certain things? And then also creating the, the feedback loops as well as the mechanisms to track the activity to really make sure that you keep your finger on the pulse. Again, some data for our, for our listeners, for our audience. We surveyed roughly a couple hundred clients and this is just some data point that we've captured that might be useful. Roughly about 48%, uh, the good news is, they're hitting their revised kind of revenue goals for the year. Uh, a lot of these companies are industrial manufacturing. A lot of these companies are in financial services. A lot of these companies are in sectors that are still doing really well. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about shortly. Um, the, the tough news is about 22%, of, again, on the good news side, 22% are actually outpacing their 22 targets. Uh, again, uh, industrial manufacturing comes to mind. Several clients in that space are doing, doing really well. The bad news is roughly 58 to about 60% are missing their opportunity pipelines. 85% share that, as we talked about, their average sales cycle has dramatically slowed down. 42% uh, are missing even adjusted kind of revenue targets. So the pipeline, is, as Jen brought up, continues to be a, a challenge. And, and again, good people, good intentions, really working hard. But that, that sales velocity seems to be, seems to be a, a big struggle. So on that note, uh, what are you seeing in, in the realm of sales velocity and revenue attainment? 
Yeah, Jen, it's it's um it's one that I've struggled with for years, which is the the people who are on the fence. There's this seems to be a a, a notion of let's wait and see. Let's wait and see how things turn out. Let's well, do you still have the need? Yep. Do you still, you know, plan to do, you know, do those things? Yep. But let's just wait and see. We've got global clients that are on travel lockdown. Uh, again, I, I get it. In a lot of these big organizations, a lot of people travel. It's a big, big, you know, investment. But I, but I've always believed in tough times. Three of the worst places that most organizations cut travel, so we're no longer getting face to face internally or externally. Training, so we're not developing our talent. We're not using that extra capacity to level up what people do and how they do it. And, and, then, and then really investments in marketing, investments in creating awareness, investments. We're, we're not going to go to that trade show or we're not going to sponsor what we've been sponsoring for years. And so now people that do go to that trade show, it's almost like it's a, it's a black eye for them you know, not to see you there or not see you involved or not see you engaged. We've got clients right now in the travel industry. They're doing well. They're, they're, they hired a bunch of people back in the post-pandemic. And they're doubling down on making sure they are, you know, present in the right places. And we're going to talk a lot about that and, and really focusing. So the wait and see due to this continued economic uncertainty, continued inflationary pressures is one. Second one, tighten aperture on the ICP. There's a lot of people that have or continue to use our stuff in tough economic times and uncertain times. How do I tighten that to the kind of the center of the bullseye? And, and you've heard me talk to people about this. Beyond an ideal customer profile, I'm a huge proponent of what we call ideal relationship profile. Who gets us? Who reciprocates the, the value exchange? Who is layman's term? Our kind of person, right? Leader, client, buyer. Who do we nurture a relationship with that is willing to say, I, I'm still interested. I still value what we do. I can't spend that today. And, and they're going to keep their commitments. One, one of my challenges with, you know, people that use vague language and say, we have a great relationship with that company. I, I'm sorry. What does great mean? What does great look like? What are the attributes that makes them great? Do they keep their commitment? Do they uh, follow through? Are they forthcoming with whatever information that would be useful and material to the to the relationship. So, and again, there's a lot more there in terms of, but tighten the aperture. Where are those buyers? What are they really buying? Not what you think they're buying. What are they really buying? And and the sense of urgency. Um, so with which you're 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 you've created this opportunity. Um, the last thing is really focusing on fewer. And again, you know, this is a passion of mine. Fewer but deeper more meaningful relationships, um, not just transactional, but really going after key segments. You know, we call them lookalikes where you've been successful. Um, uh, right now, we're working on a project with uh, you know, someone who was a client of mine some 15 years ago, and we've stayed in touch. And we haven't done a lot of work together over the years, but we stayed in touch. And we've invi I've invited them to several events. We've you know, I've sent them copies of books and now he's in a you know different company in a different role, and not only do we have an opportunity with him, but he's just referred us to one of his peers in another business unit, and that's what happens. A lot of these organizations, there's multitude of opportunities. 
but that's an ideal relationship profile that we want to work with and continue to get better at. On so, that note, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to circle back to the, the wait and see uh, approach that a lot of people are taking right now. With those executives that are implementing the, the lockdowns or the travel, travel freezes and not attending certain events, do you feel that they're not recognizing the ripple effects and downstream effects that doing that will have, specifically on their marketing? If they don't go to an event now, that means that they're not getting the leads or the FaceTime and six, nine months from now, their pipeline may struggle. Or do you feel that they are taking the approach that will make it up on the back end? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things happen. I believe during good times, right? Think about, and you've heard me tell clients this, don't equate pandemic growth with forever growth. A lot of industries, um, think about medical testing equipment, think about uh, you know power sports. You, you and I both ride motorcycles and that whole industry, RVs, right? Fewer entertainment options, more discretionary income. People went and bought a lot of toys. And that whole industry went hog wild and, you know, they pat themselves on the back. Look at the great job we're doing. Have you seen what a great job we're doing? And, and rightfully so. They added, you talk about tech bloat. How about talent bloat? How about organizational bureaucracy bloat? How about just unnecessary spend bloat? So they went and got fat and happy. And now with, if, if that continuous revenue streams in those you know selling opportunities and the income that comes in suddenly slows down people are not buying as many medical devices they're not buying as many power sports equipment or rvs by the way they're sitting around collecting dust so i'm going to sell them in the secondary markets and so what they do is they cut now they're cutting fat initially they're cutting that additional bloat they didn't need 80 people in that department. They did not need six levels deep in that technology. So they start to cut. And I think that's incredibly prudent. And there should be a lesson learned of be, let's be prudent on the front end. Then, Jen, here comes the dangerous part because now they start to cut in the muscle and they start to cut in the bones. And the perception is, ah, that's not going to really hurt us as much not to go to that trade show. And maybe so. But I always equate it to getting in shape. If you miss one day workout, that's really not a big deal. You miss several days or you miss weeks. And now you're going to be in real trouble in training for that marathon or training for that. And, and that's how the business is, is that a marathon, hopefully that relationship, they're playing that long game. I, I wrote a LinkedIn post about this of, are you playing that relationship long game uh, and not being at that event or not getting in front of the right relationships. Again, I, I, I'm a realist. I realize we need to tighten our budgets. We've done the same thing. By the same token, you and I are going to conferences and we're going to see clients and we're still travel for work. And and I think it's it's smart to focus on the right relationships and really not think we're just going to make it up on the back. Hey, listen, we've got this logo, this this beautiful logo and this brand and we're a global company and Get, they'll always know who we are and take our calls on the other end. Yeah, maybe. Are you willing to risk that? Are you willing to risk other companies that are being scrappy and hustling and getting in front of your clients? So, so on that note, um, you know, we've talked about marketing, we've talked about sales. Jen, talk about customer success and not just uh, you know expanding as marketing and sales likes to do. Hey, let's go get net new logos. But how do we work harder to retain? those existing relationships? 
Sure. So one of the key areas, especially in these turbulent economic times that companies should be focusing on is their retention number and really tracking that. And one of the things that most companies are not as intentional on as they should be is really that onboarding and the impact they provide to those new logos or even those who renew with them and ensuring that 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 onboarding and the value that they've promised during the marketing and sales process is really delivered upon and that the customer the now paying customer sees that value quickly and that they feel that you're a partner with them in the process versus just being a vendor. And so that is one key area that uh, companies really should focus on. The, uh, the next area would be double, doubling down on enablement, training, uh, and development on the front end. Uh, to allow customers to not only get onboarded quickly, but also to help leverage their technology in the day-to-day -day of the business and really incorporate that solution into, into their processes in a, in a way that makes an impact is not just an add-on, it's not adding keystrokes, it's not one more tool to sign into. It actually becomes an integral part of, of what they do. Mm. Uh, the next area to focus on would be for customer success, really to understand the root causes. So not just that we won this logo, but also to ensure that they're touching base with their the clients on a regular basis to understand the causes of churn, understand what areas they may be struggling with, uh, helping the customer maybe overcome some problems with uh their solution or how they've implemented something and then take that information and make sure it gets fed back to the appropriate departments within the organization. So get back to marketing and, and maybe help change messaging, get it back to sales. And maybe there was a piece in the, in the demo that wasn't as clean as it probably could be, but then also get it all the way back to product and product marketing to ensure that there's always improvements being made to the, the solution that is being sold in a way that is incorporating that customer feedback, because that's really, really powerful, not only for the company to learn from its deficiencies or even what customers love and doubling down on that, but it's also helps the customer see that the company is open to that feedback and really incorporating it into a longer term strategy. So the customer feels that the company cares about what they have to say, and it's not just talking into a vacuum. Yeah, yeah I was going to, again, for our audience that are able to, to see us online, you know, we're going to go back to this customer lifecycle journey. And Jen and I have talked about the left-hand side of this infinity loop is a lot of the marketing. It's a lot of the, you know, the sales kind of motions. And, and we coach every client that the relationship really starts at, at, at number four, which is when they buy. And that entire right-hand side that Jen's alluding, you know, talking about is the whole customer success side. I, again, tech companies, I, I'm a partner in a, in a fund and, you know, there are companies that are laying off their customer success people. And you look at their backgrounds and there's some phenomenal customer success experiences. And I'm thinking... Again, is that fat that you're cutting or, or are you, you know, short-sighted that they think, well, we've got no business coming in, so we don't really need customer success? 
and we're going to trim that entire kind of organization. And I think that's a huge mistake. I think this is the opportunity, as you said, go back to onboarding, go back to the impact in this infinity loop that we have and really go back to, this is a great time to go back to customers you haven't touched base with. You haven't, you haven't really spent as much time with. Hey, how are things going? Take the high road. We've done a terrible job staying in touch. Or you know what? We've got a new training program on a new feature and functionality that we thought might be useful to you. If you go back to our, our you know, conversation around tech bloat that most organizations use a fraction of the technology they're paying for. How about us helping them get more out of their existing investment? Yeah, 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 but that's not new revenue. No, but that's a you know, reinforcing the relationship. That's really creating material impact, return on objectives in their business. Only when you do that will you earn that seven, which is creating evangelists out of your existing customers. You heard a comment I made earlier of we're back working with a client that I initially worked with 15 years ago. This guy's introduced us to another VP. Again, industrial manufacturing company, another business unit they've got. It's a global, multi, you know, multinational, multi-billions in revenue. And they're doing well. And by the way, they're ahead of their you know, budgets, operating budgets and plans. So they've got money to spend. They've got problems that we can solve. And one relationship is introducing us to another one. That's because, you know, again, we've worked really hard to create. And this isn't about us, but if you create impact in other people's business, in your customers' customers, right, then you start to earn that evangelist kind of role and it creates subsequent opportunities. Um, go and, ahead. And one of the things to, to note on this is I'm still seeing, we're still seeing companies treat their renewal cycle and treat that that touching base with a customer as an annual event the the contract is coming up for renewal i'm going to send an email ask how they're they're seeing value let them know that the renewal is coming and answer any questions that they may have just recently i saw a linkedin post from somebody that i'm connected with they canceled a five-figure contract because that's the email that they got from from their their account rep that they've actually never met and the in the email it offered to have a calendar meeting to talk about the value and help deepen and, and expand the relationship yet they hadn't heard from the company much less this person in almost a year and you and I have talked about it before we too in our tech stack have a certain technology that we get three or four emails right around renewal time, but then the rest of the year it's crickets. That is not a, a solid customer success uh, process, follow-up way to do business. You really have to show the customer that you care for one and for two, that you're not just treating them as a number. Mm -hmm. And so ensuring that they don't, they aren't sitting on open support tickets for a really long time, or that you are talking to them more than once a year, that I could recognize who my account rep is versus just a, a blank, blank, almost no name email coming across that's obviously mass generated. That is not a, a key to customer success or creating any sort of stickiness in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so really taking a look at that and reevaluating how you do your renewals and how your customer success team functions, even your sales team should be involved in those renewals and it should not be an annual thing. I also appreciate your comment about, you know, doubling down on enablement and training. 
uh, you and I have talked about FAQs, right? I love frequently asked questions about our technology tool platform, how to do what we do. I think that's, and, and, and even the tickets, I think a, uh, a deeper analysis on the tickets should actually provide the outline for the training, for the development upfront. If, if, if a whole bunch of our clients are struggling with this issue after we sell it, after we implement it, after we install it, why don't we bring that to the front end? Why don't we bring that into training and development on the front end to avoid those issues down the road? And I know somebody somewhere is thinking about it. It just, we don't see it as consistently as a discipline kind of moving forward. So with that backdrop of, again, we've got uncertain economic times, we've got the layoffs that are continuing, we've got tech bloat, we've got lack of data flow. Why don't we jump into the five ideas? And for our audience, I'm going to quickly mention them, and then Jen and I will go back and, and kind of talk about them. So number one, reimagine, really reimagine. And again, I'm going to bring it up again in our, in our screen, and you can see it. Really reimagine this customer lifecycle journey. We believe the old system is broken and, and the transactional one, and it's not coming back. So we'll come back to that. Number two, grow through your best lookalike customers. We're going to talk about total TRM, Jen. Total relevant market. Yeah. So not just everybody you can sell to, who's most relevant to you? Who's, who's kind of the... The, the ones that you should focus on and really amplify your ROI story. We'll talk more about that. Double down on your brand promise and equity through co-creation. This is a book I wrote, and it's all about you don't have to go to market alone. As a matter of fact, in, in difficult economic times, the ones that get creative, companies that get scrappy, companies that look for opportunities to tap into Areas that others may not be focused on are the ones that really, really benefit. So we'll talk more about that. Focus on net retention rate, NRR. Jen brought it up earlier. It's a critical metric on your relationship health. We'll talk more about that. Think elite differently. If you create, I had this conversation with a CEO yesterday, create a culture of experimentation with micro campaigns, we believe can uncover opportunities. So Jen, let's take them one at a time. Talk to me about the old way of transactional selling being broken and not coming back? Sure. So the selling motion with the advent of the internet and all the digital information that's out there, customers, a few years ago, there was a stat that customers are getting 70 to 80% of their information before they even talk to anybody at your company. And so the consumers of your product, of your service are gaining a lot of data points. They're doing their own research before they even actually talk to someone. And so that multi-threaded approach of how to engage with that customer really uh, is important and focusing on, okay, well, marketing's got it now, then sales is going to touch it and then customer success is going to touch it really isn't the way it works anymore. And so making sure that there's a consistent and cohesive journey that you're, that the company itself is trying to take that person on uh, is really going to be the most impactful to ensure that the customer's getting the information they need when they want it. And you're meeting them where they are. And sales is having the information about that customer and what information they've already consumed to intelligently talk to them without 
backtracking or repeating something that they may have already known uh, and it's not useful to moving that conversation forward. Yeah, and the other thing on that is we're seeing increasingly even companies who sell a physical product are exploring subscription economy. So going beyond, hey, I, I sold you this widget. Well, that's great. Um, you know, what if I rented it? And what if I, we've talked about this, if you change the business model where you now rent it and it includes maintenance and parts and uptime and it's a different level of service, you just moved from a CapEx spend to an OpEx and that operating expense, right, becomes that subscription economy as such, the life cycle becomes a lot more prevalent. We're seeing product-led growth become that foray, becomes, hey, here's a freemium version. We're building our own. Here's a freemium version that you can try and you can work with. And by the way, after adoption, we want to add additional seats. We want to grow this beyond one region to now globally. So that infinity loop, we have yet to find a C, you know, CRO, CMO, CEO that argues with the criticality of those critical steps, those steps in really nurturing and ongoing. And, and somebody said, you know, they noticed there's no off-ramp. Said, yeah, the goal is. How do we focus on fewer customers, but really build and nurture a long-term relationship so they stay on that infinity loop and continue to work with us over some period of time? Let's switch gears to uh, Tam. So you and I have had, I think we, we, we recorded a previous episode of, you know, the, the, the target logo that we talk about. The outer ring is the total addressable market. Talk about, talk about Tam for a second. Yeah, so a lot of organizations will take their ICP and then have their data or rev team create leads or do searches and segmentation to then create the total addressable market that fits that ICP. The company size, the industry, titles, whatever that ICP consists of, and there's that total addressable market. But what and that's just everybody who could ever need our services. And it's kind of a morbid example, but it like the, the coffin industry, I mean, everybody's going to need a coffin, but somebody in India is not going to necessarily buy from a company in Texas. And so while they are somebody that a Texas company could help, that's not a market that is even relevant to jump kind of ahead to that to that company in Texas. So the total addressable market is just that very broad brush of here's everybody who we could possibly help, but it's not actually narrowing down to a niche that that is then something attainable by the company. Yep. So so the bigger logo we talk about total addressable market. I I, I tend to think of two things. If you had unconstrained time and resources right? This is everybody that potentially needs us and or we're fit for. Now we zoom in a little bit to TRM, to, and you brought this up, relevant market. Yeah. So the total relevant market are the buyers based on that ideal customer profile, but then uh, double clicked down into either the markets that you work with in, the industries that you sell really well into, the ones that are actually uh, going to either need your solution or are already actively looking for your solution, but they are the people that you could actually help versus that very broad brush, 10,000 foot view look at the market. Yep. Beautiful. So now we're at the bullseye of the target logo and that's our aim, which is the, the already in market, <laughs> right? 
And as you said, you know, that's not the ICP that is actively in the market uh, for a solution like yours. We, we've, we've seen a fascinating trend, which is, again, we talked about smaller companies being more susceptible to difficult economic times. They've, they've, we've seen comp- smaller companies dramatically increase their focus on selling to the right customer, selling to the right customer that's in the market for what you're doing because they can't afford this idea of a drag of, of a bad fit customer. So you spend a whole bunch of time, effort, cycles, resources, and the, the model, the business model can't afford you know, an 18-month, 36-month sales cycle because you're trying to educate them. I, the analogy I often use is, listen, teachers don't get paid much. Both my parents are teachers, and I can attest to this. So if you're trying to educate a market on you know, do you have this problem? Do you have this need? Have you looked at these other solutions? By definition, that becomes very elongated versus somebody who gets it, knows it, has looked at the space, is actively looking for a solution. That just becomes a lot more focused effort. So, so people that are already in the market, even within your ICPs, as Jen mentioned, within key sectors that are lookalikes, you know what problems they have intimately, you know what prop, and it's not just a, a hypothesis, but you know intimately the problems they're having, how they're trying to solve it today, and you know your solution directly addresses it. That's a that's a it's you're, you're accelerating. I call it a relationship on ramp. You're accelerating that conversation. It becomes a lot easier. Well, um, and uh, focusing like niching down on that person that you can actually help is is a better long term strategy than trying to just educate everybody to your point. It allows you to have those sales quicker. It allows you to have a shorter uh, deal cycle, but then you will always have those outliers. So if you're hyper-focused, let's say on the mid market, you may have an enterprise deal come in. And while you're working through the 18 month sales cycle, you're still making progress on all those mid market deals. So and so you're not putting all your eggs in the basket of this one massive enterprise deal. It's great that it comes, but that's not who you're, you're focused on. And it's just, it's one of those outliers. So looking at your deals that you're winning, but then also the ones that are just coming in, seeing those lookalikes and focusing on the ones that you know you can help is really just going to help your revenues uh, be more consistent. Again, just for our audience, the data point for you on this customer lifecycle journey that we've been showing and we've been talking about, we've also, with the help of a partner company called Versalytics, we've created a scorecard. So this can't, you know, beyond just gut feel and intuition on, on where your strengths and where your challenges may be, we actually now have quantitative data that we can show on where are you really struggling, where are you really strong, where do you need to, and not just descriptive of here's what's going on, prescriptive of where you need to double down on and focus on when we say reimagine the customer lifecycle journey, we can pinpoint where some of the challenges are. Moving on to number so number one, reimagine that customer lifecycle journey and really go figure out which of these facets, these seven uh, attributes that are seven phases that we have on here will be most useful to you. Number two was grow through best lookalike customers. This, this this TRM idea that we've talked about and amplify your your ROI story. Many organizations we work with in that impact, number six, definitively capture, and again, they have some suppositions when they go in, 
after a customer buys and implements it, hopefully, uh, prayerfully, they're, they're grabbing some data. And, and in difficult economic times, that ROI story, not gut feel, not, I can't reiterate this enough, not fluff, but the more quantifiable you can become in delivering that impact, in really talking about materially impacting their business. You've got to give credit where credit is due. But because of our technology, they were able to save this much. Because of our technology, they were able to accelerate their time to market. Again, think about your customers' customers. Anytime you can amplify, capture, you got to capture the ROI story and amplify it qualitatively, quantitatively, becomes invaluable. It becomes invaluable. And telling that story to other lookalike customers um, becomes really, really helpful in gaining that social proof that they get me, they get my challenges, they know how to address it, they know how to address it efficiently, effectively, impactfully, and I will be better off because I'm in a relationship with these people. That's the social proof that you need to really focus on. And when we say amplify your ROI story, that's exactly what we're talking about. Jen, any comments on that? Uh, nope, not on that. All right, moving on to uh, double down on your brand promise and brand equity through co-creation. Again, let me set the stage, Jen. You're welcome to jump in with any you know, comments or anything you want to add. The, the brand is your air cover. That brand promise is if you're having this issue, when you're having this issue, and you address it this way, that's how you'll be better off. So um, one of our clients, uh, you know, great company, love their premise of we eliminate passwords, right? Zero trust. We're going to eliminate pa passwords are useless. Passwords are, you know, how people get into your system and compromise your system. And so love the passwordless. And for most of us, passwords are a huge pain and you know, uh, 2FA, you know, the, the dual factor, uh, two factor authentication is, an, is another big pain. Wait a minute. Every time I want to get into my system now, I need to have a text me a stupid code that I go back. It's just a royal pain as a business user. So the premise is we, in essence, with the device from the user at the time, you know, we create this environment where you don't need passwords. Love that premise. Love that idea. Love that brand. And they're doing a really good job. In, I mean, they went to RSA. They're doing a ton online. They're creating awareness consistently. And I may not need it today or think about it today or, or be in the market for it today, but it's event-driven. Something happens where I am going to need. It's going to get aggravating enough that I want to go pursue a, a, a you know, password-less environment. The other thing that we talk a lot about, so, so continue to drive that brand promise. And then when you do deliver it, having others talk about it really reinforces your brand equity. The other thing that I like about what I've seen from them is this idea of co-creation. Co-creation, again, I wrote a book on this topic. It's more than a partnership. It's more than an alliance. It's more than a joint venture. It is literally co-creating a unique value that neither side can do by themselves that you address a very specific market opportunity, you specific a, an unmet need where each side brings their respective strengths. We're doing this with a couple of partner companies where we bring our depth in what you're looking at, the sales, marketing, customer success side. 
they bring enormous, uh, you know, incredible insights in embedded analytics. And we're doing this with Versalytics and the scorecard. That's some really interesting work around helping companies who are stuck in their marketing, sales, customer success motions get unstuck through this analysis, through really helping them leverage data for actionable insights. So co-creation is, is really an opportunity to identify an unmet need where two or more parties come together and, and co-create a solution, co-create an answer that takes him to market. Jen, comments on brand, comments on co-creation? Well, I think uh, the aspect of co-creation is one area that a lot of companies are unwilling to put time and resources into. Because And, and it may be just because they don't have time to, they have a ton of other strategic priorities, but the value that it can bring because it opens up additional customer base, it also opens up additional ideas, it really is a, a competitive differentiation between uh, companies and what they do and how they deliver it. And so by leveraging that and double downing, doubling down on that would allow them to have a broader customer story and impact more people because they can offer more value. And I think companies just don't focus on that because they want to be seen as the solution, as the thought leader. And so it's almost ego gets in the way. And, and it's not that anybody's trying to be malicious or they, they don't feel that others have great ideas. I just feel that it's an area that uh, is a long tail approach. And so a lot of organizations are needing that revenue now and they don't have time to invest in that co-creation side. Love that. So let's let's move on to focusing on on NRR. Talk to our client, talk to our audience about what NRR is, and beyond the traditional vanity metrics that a lot of people care about, it seems like NRR really is this north star. It really is this guiding light to truly transforming the business. So talk about NRR for a second. Yeah. So NRR net revenue retention is really becoming that North Star metric that a lot of the executives and even VCs and private equity firms are looking at because it shows the, the logos, the revenue that that's staying within the organization month over month, year over year. And so it's, it's showing that stickiness of the product. It's also reinforcing the product market fit. And it's also showing that the customers who've bought from you see the value that you bring and continue to, to gain uh, value from continuing to lose your, use your solution. So NRR is becoming that, that metric that everybody's focused on, which is, is great. And so, but net retention is not just the number of logos or number of customers we keep. You also need to then dive a little bit deeper into uh, the customer success side of it, of how many touches are we having? What's that tra tra training and enablement look like? Uh, are we a single product within that organization or do we have multi-products that they have bought? Um, looking at any of like open pipeline or any efficiencies thing and, and those types of metrics is really where you get down into the nitty gritty of what that net retention looks like. And those are some of the levers that you can pull uh, when 
you're either needing to test something new or when you're wanting to increase the retention a little bit more. Do you believe NRR is a cultural focus? Is, is it just a sales or a customer success or a marketing thing or is it cultural? It definitely needs to be cultural uh, and it needs to be one of those metrics that everyone across the organization, especially the ones that are customer facing, understand and have visibility into. So those people who are in support touch the customer just like customer success and sales do. And so ensuring that they go above and beyond for the customer, that they are quickly resolving the issues, that they follow up with the customer when they do have an issue and it's now been resolved is really important because having that consistent approach for every customer touch point is, is valuable and it helps reinforce that brand promise that the customers bought into. Again, just uh, for a data point for, for our listeners, if you assume a new logo uh, uh, is gonna generate sales of roughly 10 million annually, if you think about it a second, a net revenue retention of 70% over five years gets you to about 25 million in revenue. That's actually a low performer. If you 100% retain that customer base, you're now in the 50 million ARR within five years. Best in class actually has a positive, uh, near the 120% NRR. And, and when you think about that, wait a minute, how can net revenue retention be 120%? It's you're retaining existing relationships as you add additional ones. The high performers now are in the 75 million. So look at 50 million in ARR between the low performers and high performers in just this example, because as Jen mentioned, culturally they're determined to build, nurture, really sustain a healthy relationship with that client. It is not just transactional. We sold them something. And, and my biggest regret in many sales organizations is that they're so focused on net new. We want more. We want more logos, more customers, more relationships. We want more. And, and again, that's healthy to a point. Not at the cost of the existing relationships. Not at the cost of not nurturing not really delivering ongoing value. So they want to keep spending that. Again, one of, my, one of the examples that makes me cringe is every inevitably industry association, particularly trade associations, right? They're all over you when you first sign up as a member. And then there's this decline to a point that you never hear from them until the renewal notices are, right? Hey, hey are you going to renew your membership? Where have you been the last 10 months? What value have you added? By the way, didn't somebody somewhere notice that I wasn't attending your events online or in person? Didn't somebody notice that I wasn't visiting the website? Didn't somebody notice that I'm not downloading anything? Didn't somebody notice that I was not engaged? So one is that awareness. Two is a mechanism for you to do something about it. Have you reached out? Hey, how's your business? Notice you joined several months ago. And you haven't really attended any of our events online. Do you know this thing is coming up? We have a 
Are you involved with the local chapter? I mean, just there's a lot of different ways to engage and influence that, that association member. And now think about the same with your customers. How many of your other customers do they know in that geography? Is there a local users group or is there a kind of a series of best practices? What better opportunity for you to get out of your office and go on a roadshow, go on, go see your most valuable asset, which is those customer relationships. Hey, how are you using our stuff? How's it going? What's working for you? What's not working for you? Oh, let me get, and Jen alluded this. Let me get John in our product development team, in our engineering team, on a call with you to understand what you're trying to do that you cannot do today with our platform, with our solution. That's how you deepen. That's how you build a culture that really focuses on net revenue retention. Um, any other comments on, on NRR? Well, I don't, I just finished with that the retention number is something that a lot of organizations aren't paying attention to until it becomes a problem. And just like customer success, unfortunately, is some sometimes treated as the redheaded stepchild of the, the customer journey. The net retention number is also one of those that it's only starting to be evaluated when sales slow down or the velocity slows down or net new logos aren't coming in. That's when they, they kind of scramble and we've got to keep what we've got. It really needs to be culturally something that everybody looks at from the get-go. It, it's looking at your win number, your loss number, and then your retention number is really the three metrics that everybody should have an eye on and have visibility to. Yeah. And, and it goes back to, you know, I, got, I brought up earlier, really understanding your customers, customers, you know, the, the whole ROI story that I mentioned earlier really gets amplified when you think about how your customers go to market, how your customers engage uh, and, and influence their customers and their market opportunities. If you, you know, and, and again, it'd be very easy to say, well, that's not our problem. That's not our challenge, or we have no control over that. Maybe, maybe not. But the fact that you're thinking about it, the fact that you bring it up, the fact that you're asking about them, your customers going to market and creating value for their customers really helps you understand um, how to create value in their hearts, in their minds. Last but not least, we talk about thinking differently, really creating a culture of experimentation with micro campaigns. Um, I'm a big fan of Professor Amy Edvinson at Harvard Business School. And years ago, I read uh, an HBO article that she wrote on spectrum of failure. And what I want you to think about is on one end is deviant behavior, which she absolutely calls blameworthy, right? People who just are out to screw things up, you're right. You know, very few companies are going to have time patience for them. The other end of the spectrum is really those who take prudent risk, those who try new things, those who really go out of their way to experiment, to create hypotheses, to think like scientists and go make prudent bets. And what I love about Amy's description is, is she calls them praiseworthy. And it's because, and, and the reason I bring this up is in difficult economic times, scrappy, creative, um, 
those who make small bets, I, I am not advocating by any stretch, put the company at risk. But if you create an environment where people are able to, they're empowered to, they're willing to try new approaches, it, it's, it almost reminds me of the venture capital model, right? We're going to go make 10 small bets, knowing upfront that eight of them will go nowhere. Hopefully, we learn something from them, but we're going to go make small bets. And the two that hit are going to be the future of our business. The two that hit are going to be the new product. The two that hit are going to dramatically help us leapfrog our competitive peers. That's a culture of experimentation. And micro, micro events, micro campaigns, micro are small controlled environments to test these ideas. So what does that look like? I have an existing customer who has bought one of our services. Uh, I know that uh, they use other services that we offer, but just we've done a terrible job. Take the high road. We've done a terrible job educating them on all that we can do, other things we can offer. What if I created a, a hook from the one service they have used and they've benefited from into other services, into other opportunities, not as a hard sale, but as an opportunity of, hey, what if we came in and we did something? What if we came and added some value? What if I brought along this tool, this product, this resource with me, maybe on our dime initially, to see if there's something there, to see if we can help. If you lead with a heart of service, if you lead with how can we go out of our way to help you, it opens up doors, it opens up opportunities. So Jen and her team, and Jen, you can talk more about this. They've created some, you know, the, the assessment, the RevOps assessment is a fantastic 30, 45 days to really get in and look at your capabilities, your, your processes, your tech stack. Jen and her team also created something called the RevOps X-Ray. And I love this. So talk a little about the X-Ray. Yeah, so an X-Ray is uh, just a week of sysadmin access. And we do just a very cursory analysis of what's happening in your, in your system, in your ecosystem, and to make recommendations on five areas that you can improve and that your team can implement or we can help you implement, but it's just five areas that could dramatically increase what you're doing and how you're doing it. I, I love that. And how, how much, how many millions of dollars do you charge for a, a one-week RevOps X-ray? Uh, $0 million. <laughs> right? So, so this is an example of, of a, an offering to help, an offering that, hey, we'll, take, we'll invest our time, our effort, our resources in one week. Again, not nearly as deep as a, as a 30, 45-day assessment, but the cursory view, right? And her and her team have gotten really good at quickly looking at that data flow, quickly looking at what is and isn't working quickly coming back with, here are five anchors. And I've seen this, the presentation is fascinating. The customer, it reinforces some of the things the customer knows and some of the things they haven't even thought about. But here are five things that are holding you back, that are in essence anchors to you performing at the level you need to. You are not using 70% of what your Salesforce environment is capable of. You are not, you know, the plugins whether it's outreach or Gong or Sixth Sense or right yesterday we learned about four or five other tools that this client was using that they weren't aware of or they weren't as aware of what was was plugged in or wasn't plugged in. So that's an example of really thinking differently, leading differently, 
and creating these micro experiments uh, or micro campaigns with a heart of service, with a heart of giving that I think can open up new relationships, new opportunities, new conversations that we believe, and again, difficult economic times that might be useful. So just a quick recap, five ideas for you to consider. Reimagine your customer lifecycle journey. That maturity model is in that North Forum. Encourage you to come check it out. Two, grow through best lookalike customers, the total relevant market, and amplify your ROI story. Really think about how to capture and amplify that ROI story. Three, double down on your brand promise and brand equity. And look for opportunities to co-create net new value in your go-to-market. Four, focus on the net retention, net revenue retention as a critical metric of your relationship health. Five, think and lead differently. If you create a culture of experimentation where people are empowered to make prudent bets, small bets, not putting the company at risk bets, it's amazing. And you can do this through micro campaigns, micro events small controlled environments, we believe it can uncover new opportunities. Jen, baseline assessment? Yeah, so the baseline assessment, you mentioned it earlier, it's a 30 to 45 day deep dive into your capabilities, your uh, processes, and your tech stack. And then we come back with short, medium, and long-term recommendations on how to elevate what it is you're doing and how you're doing it both from a, a training and enablement perspective, but then also the technology perspective. And that work is done, uh, like I said, in 30 to 45 days, it's sysadmin access. And it's really critically looking at uh, not only why, but then how to execute against your business goals. And so it helps reimagine what you're doing and how you're doing it and elevate that data and the transparency across marketing, sales, and customer success to become a cultural talking point and to have everybody kind of marching in the same direction and really focused on the things that can impact the business in a positive way. Uh, along the same lines, based on the latest book, Relationship Economics, I'm also doing a, a series of Relationship Economics Insights Roundtables. So really looking at the business with both internal and external relationships. we got several clients that are going much more account-based. They're really doubling down on their existing customers, trying to sell across business units, trying to uh, really deepen the relationships with their channel partners. Uh, I'm spending time with a leadership team. I'm spending time with the revenue team and really looking at where specifically and how they can deepen those relationships. So uh, those are just a couple of services our team brings to global clients. Um, the intent of these weekly intelligent growth is to share with you ideas, perspectives, what we're researching, what we're seeing in the market with our global clients. We hope this session on uh, five ideas to consider in a slowdown of the sales velocity and missing pipeline targets have been an interest and value to you. Don't forget our next several uh, episodes. We have some, some great, great sessions coming up. Uh, Steve Hardy, the chief marketing officer at uh, Profix, is going to join us and talk about thriving amid continued uncertainty. Steve and his whole marketing team are doing some fascinating, fascinating work that I think you will really benefit from hearing. Uh, Deidre Downing is the chief uh, learning officer at a company called Story IQ. 
She'll be our guest in the next episode talking about uh, really telling great stories uh, around your data, data that's available to you, data that uh, is accessible to you and your organization. So hope you'll come back for our future episodes of Intelligent Growth, Tuesdays, noon Eastern. We do this on a weekly basis, and we'll also repurpose these as our podcast for you to listen to wherever you consume podcasts. On behalf of Jen Cords, I'm David North. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Intelligent Growth. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care.